here we are at the f final leg of our journey through Season 4. It's V'ger Please, a hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'm your co-host, Peter. And at last, it, it feels like we started Season 4 ages ago. Yeah, I, uh, this is what, Episode 102 for us now? Yeah. It's, I, I had to cross into a new notebook, so it's hard for me to leaf back through our old stuff, but... It's been a long fucking time, man. Like, looking back, we got Scorpion 2, Day of Honor, Nemesis, Revulsion. Like, this feels like so long ago. Uh, you know, the six or whatever weeks we spent mucking around in Picard certainly took its toll. And Picard just had its season series finale, which I have not watched yet. We're going to we're gonna do our live uh, season four rip next week i think right yep that's the plan so you'll hear our our thoughts on the season four finale here shortly next week uh we're gonna do a live broadcast via twitch uh to do our season four rip per tradition and then we'll upload that as our episode the rip will be on tuesday at nine o'clock eastern time if you want to join us live we'll post everywhere where you can find us and then uh, the episode will go up on all of our podcast feeds as our regularly scheduled installment for that week. Uh, and then we'll start it on season five after that. And during the season four rip, we'll also uh, drive a drive a fucking stake into the heart of Picard once and for all. <laughs> I fucking watched the finale. I was mad about it all day, of course. <laughs> you know, I just I just went out to the trauma support group and just was like, I need I need help, please. I'm going to talk about how much I hate this some people obliged me and I was, I'm very grateful to them. That's what it's there for, man. It's a trauma support group in the truest sense of the, yeah, the word. Uh, we is. thought it was going to be there to support defeating world crushing Voyager episodes, but it was actually fucking TNG rejects that, uh, that require the most love and hugs. I, I, I just looked up because I was curious based on, talking about how long ago it was we started season four back at the end of july <laughs> and here we are at the end of march what a different world it. man yeah well i mean it doesn't help that like i feel like all of us have lived a decade in the last three weeks i mean it's march 26 2020 when we're we're recording this and jesus i can't wait to be able to look back at this time and say boy that happened man you remember coronavirus you remember covid19 <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> It was. Remember it when was. I could Here, get toilet paper at any store in the entire United States? That was just. Yeah. Can, can we reflect a moment on how how weird that is? Like, I, I I could go into a store and they've got everything like the the momentary panic buying for essentially everything is over except for toilet paper. That's still the thing you can't fucking find. I went to I'm a big Aldi fan between Aldi and Costco. That's where I do most of my shopping. And uh I went to the store today and it was the first time I'd really been in with like everything was restocked minus the toilet paper. And I will tell you that as an American and my boss grew up in Soviet Russia, so he's got some like super duper interesting stories about life growing up there. You you want to hear some crazy shit, man. He'll tell you some crazy shit. Uh, but he's like, it's it's very interesting because I grew up seeing nothing but barren, empty shelves uh, and seeing it in America and seeing how Americans react to it, it's, it's very interesting. I'm like, absolutely. I've, it's very hard, short of like toy stores around, you know, Black Friday, you don't see empty shelves in the US. And it's 
been very unnerving and different and unwelcome to have that sensation and walking into a store that's actually fully shelved uh, has been oddly calming and soothing. Uh, but it has been just fucking craziness. And yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to look back more on season five, episode 26 and see where the world is then. I really appreciate the way we've been watching Voyager. Like we are not watching Voyager the way it was initially designed to be consumed because we have access. We can pause things. We can rewind. We can fast forward. We can nitpick in, in almost high def. Uh, and we're not having to suffering entire dormant seasons between cliffhangers and stuff, but we are somewhat preserving the spirit of the show in that we're watch, or at least I'm watching this stuff for the first time one week at a time. And I think it allows us to savor and reflect on things similar to how audiences would have had to do when this is all purely over the air broadcast. And it's right. a and, and that adds, it adds a level I think to our discussions because because I have seen it all. This is all, all a revisit for me. Some of it uh, a more firm memory than others. But you are this is this is fresh trek for you. You've said that many times. It's like it's like it was just made. As far as you're concerned, you have essentially no knowledge of it. Absolutely. Um, and part of that is it's, it's a slow process. We started doing this when two years ago ish, two and a half years ago. Yeah. So I mean, three seasons. You know, and and a significant chunk out for Picard, obviously, but three seasons in about two and a half years. Like that's, that's almost a real time viewing. Like it's pretty cool. We are covering a lot of ground and season four has been a lot of ups and downs. I, I'm sure we'll reflect upon this more when we do the rip, like had some of the best episodes we've seen, you know, we got together and we watched uh, the year of hell episodes and they were fantastic. Um, there were some, there were some good one shots in there. Uh, you know, I I'm a big devotee of the uh, space cat pet cemetery episode where Neelix has to confront if, you know, like life has meeting after his uh, near death experience mm -hmm. being resurrected by Borg nanoprobes. We we even punted on an episode. We didn't do an episode on retrospect. <laughs> Just took a hard pass on that one. Well, we're getting a little uh, into into rip territory here, but I, I will say that I'm going to have to really do my homework, especially with that six week hiatus into the 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 trench war of Picard. I'm going to have to go back and refresh myself because I, I think we had some very early contenders for the weakest shit award. And I'm going to have to listen to some early episodes of ours and refamiliarize myself with the highs and the lows that season four has really brought us. But we're ending here. Uh, season four. Episode 26, Hope and Fear. So, as we just lamented last week, uh, the season was dominated by a single storyline, and that storyline is Seven of Nine becoming a real girl. And we kind of got tired of it last week. We were both just like, here we are again with seven of nine having to deal with the same fucking trauma. We feel like she's been dealing with since she took her emotional support Tuvok on her adventure to the Raven. And this is the opposite for me because I feel like this was a much better payoff for her evolution as a character. Um, but still it's like, I can't wait for us to get into season five when I know they finally tone this shit fucking down. I have to wonder it, if somewhere in a, 
how to author a television script class at some college that there's someone out there teaching a course where they're like, look at season four of Voyager and realize this is the wrong way to do a character arc. Like I I can't think of any way to have mishandled her more than they did where like that would have been a really cool, like tertiary plot through season four is like, here's this shiny new toy that everybody wants to play with in this amazing cat suit that really shows off this physical element that she was brought in for. But here's some, you know, pretty solid character development in the background. Instead of it being like the main thrust of season four is can she can Annika get her groove on? Like we harp on it a lot because that's pretty much all that we've seen. And I will agree that this out of all there might have been one or two other episodes that really hit the nail on the head for what they're trying to do emotionally. This one did a great job on it. And I think like it, it would have been even better had the bell still not been vibrating from how as many episodes that had rung it previous to this. I, I, by my count, this is the 10th episode out of 26 of this season where I feel like the primary plot point is seven of nine becoming a real girl and it's just too it was too much it was too much trying they're trying to make seven of nine a thing right and instead of allowing her to be integrated more naturally over time and to earning a place they tried to force it and it started to show as they kept jamming it in uh, but I will say for the finale, they they found the right lane to be in. It's just we it, at this point, I was just kind of over it. I've got a character flaw that I have to work around frequently, and I think that it's I'm I'm contrary by nature. If everybody in the room likes hot dogs, I'm the guy that just something in my guts like fuck hot dogs. Hamburgers are better. Like in. <laughs> And trying to like, you know, be, you know, I sit here and I'm like, man, fuck all these episodes. I hate Harry Kim episodes. And then as soon as there's no more Harry Kim or no more Balana Torres AI episodes, it's like, well, why, why am I being forced to watch everything seven of nine in Janeway or seven of nine in the doctor? Like, I want to see Tuvok episodes. I want to see Neelix episodes like. So I don't know if if my my biggest gripe through this entire season being the complete sidelining, if not like censorship of these other characters in favor of seven is like a legitimate Star Trek concern or if it's just me being contrary and, and not wanting what's being presented at the given moment. I don't think it's, it's me being contrary, like Tuvok. Let's use him as a specific example. I think you can only say that there was one Tuvok episode the entire season. And it was the, uh, the uh, Kenneth Bewilder's wild ride when he, when he goes <laughs> into his hot grinder alley and he's you know giving people murder thoughts. Like that's it. That's the only Tuvok episode for the entire season. If except- I was him, I would go to my fucking agent and I would be like, listen, man, you got to get in with, Rick Berman and figure out what's going on with me. Cause I don't know if I'm going to stand through, look at this entire episode. The only thing I got all season was hot and heavy breathing, touching a dude's face, swapping fucking clip art out of uh, event horizon. <laughs> if, if I was 
um Tim Russ, I'd be like, you know, maybe um Tasha Yar. Uh Denise Crosby wasn't all that crazy. Like, is that the 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 TNG security curse? Like you just get muscled out of episodes and seasons. Uh you're you're right though. That that is the only real standout moment. I keep wanting to go back to the elevator, um, or no, lift. But that was last season. Um <laughs> It, it really was. And I, you know, I don't, I think we'll, we'll cut off our discussion here because I feel like we are in firmly in rip territory, but let us, let us say All up front, died. it's, it is another, it's another seven of nine becomes a real girl with Janeway's help episode, but this is the good one. <laughs> this is <laughs> like fucking the, amazing. Uh, yeah. Like this the, is good. What was this fucking last stupid one we did with uh, her? being home alone um oh one strike. yeah one that uh that was a very stomachable piece of garbage between two great episodes because demons i still think is really good and i fucking loved this episode hope and fear it was like your parents telling you the whole year, like, we're not going to be able to afford um, a Nintendo 64, <laughs> so you better just fucking temper your expectations on Christmas because there's not going to be an N64. And then, sure enough, you rip that fucking box open, there's an N64. Oh, my here. God! Like, this broke so many Voyager shitty writer room rules. Like, don't ever go oh, back yeah. to the past. Don't acknowledge anything. Don't ever hold fucking Janeway accountable. Accountable. To yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean. And I'm over here blowing this episode up front on my knees with both hands because, you know, it it bookmarks season four so well. We spent, what, something stupid like an hour and a half on season four, episode one, Scorpion part two, just ripping that thing apart for the, the stupidest fucking decisions and risks that Janeway is willing to make. Um, and the fact that there is a self acknowledgement and a closure to those glaring flaws um, is, is a play that I never would have thought I would have seen out of Voyager. Yeah, the the I knew uh, going in how much you were going to love this one because of the last act. And the speech that Arturus lays down in front of Janeway, I knew for an, for the last six months, nine months since we reviewed Scorpion, that this moment would come and this glory that would wash over you as a consequence. But you can't oversell how fucking perfect it is. Like they 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 go there, they go there and they don't even apologize for it. They're and it's like, out of nowhere, too. Like, yeah. the, the whole premise of this episode is that this uh, message from Starfleet, which showed up back in the Herogen plot arc, uh, and you're like, okay, well, that's a really solid thing for them to touch into. And then just this the last minute reveal of like, no, man, we're going back to the beginning of the season. Like, it's it's a great first half, and it's a phenomenal twist. Um, you know, Voyager initial premiere was all pre-internet uh, but i'm curious what do you remember as being a active star trek fan who was consuming this tv show on a weekly format like and whatever kind of pre-internet buzz there could have been whether it was bulletin boards or magazines or whatever like did the scorpion plot arc 
and Janeway's decision to help the Borg fight off species 8427, like, were people as critical of it as you and I were when we watched it? Uh, people were critical of the treatment of the Borg from the beginning. Well founded, I would say. E- even how this one touches on it was good. So um, getting into the the episode itself, uh, we begin with a... <laughs> I, I freeze frame and I'm like, okay, so we're on the holodeck and there is some sort of flying disc. It's you know similar to the lightsaber training droid that uh, Luke trains with. And it's very clear they've just turned the camera upside down and they're trying to use the floor of the holodeck and, and make you think it's actually the ceiling. And uh, we are going to get introduced to a ridiculous game that Starfleet plays called Velocity. And it's where you... And someone else who you want to play a game with stand across each other in the holodeck with both hands on a type two phaser pointed directly at each other. And the point of the game is to not shoot the person across from you instead of shoot like a little a little coffee saucer. <laughs> right. And, and to hit the other person with it by like sending it at them by like by hitting it with the phaser. I've, I've done a lot of shooting in my life and just the fucking visual of two people like switch out phasers for for pistols and <laughs> pretend to play this fucking game. It's it's ridiculous, but it's uh it's Janeway and it's seven and nine. Janeway's wearing like a dress and some tights. I don't even remember what seven's wearing. Seven's got something tight on. But uh, for the first time, I don't even notice her outfit because it looks like her right arm, like someone hit her with a fucking car with the size of this Borg brew she has. Yeah, the seven of nine has not been seen, I think, without sleeves for the most part. So uh, the level of detail that they tried to go into with the Borg implants on her arms was definitely uh, something new. I guess it's one of the few things they got right on Picard was that she had the uh, the same doing, you know, visible implants on her arms. Uh, but yeah, she's in some... You know, her her normal has to be skin tight, something workout clothes. And they're uh, shooting their glocks at each other, trying to hit each other with a Frisbee. And uh, Janeway pulls out the a close victory. And of course, Seven of Nine acts like a real bitch about it. Accurate scene recap. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Uh, That's what happens. It quickly devolves into uh, uh, an in-depth examination of what a bad sport um, seven is being about this and Janeway's observation and expression of frustration that things aren't going quite the way she wanted. The scene doesn't really work because again, we've been through this emotional journey from point A to point B 10 fucking times with seven of nine, where at the end of each of these 10 episodes, she discovers her feelings and her humanity and has a, you know, a growth moment where the Grinch's heart grows 10 times or whatever, only to completely shrink down by the next time. So, um, you know, the last time we touched on this story, she was well on the road to recovery and, and now she's reverted back to this. It was last week that she was like, sacrificing her life for yeah. the crew last yeah. week her fucking life like big give me bigger stakes than that uh so janeway uh, butting heads with her 
where, okay, we're going to tell this story again for time number 11 or whatever. Um, we lay down some uh, details on where we are actually falling in the voyage. Uh, season four, if we're going from Scorpion to to this point here, from when they brought Seven of Nine onto the ship, it's only been five months. And if you take all 26 episodes and, and break them up over a five-month um, time span, I, I you got some real hazard pay opportunity in there, I think. I I after they said it was nine months, I went ahead and went back through like the uh, the the roster of episodes to see like what that meant for the uh, one uh, life imperiling space danger per pay period uh, template that we had established for your Starfleet paycheck. And uh, if we discount uh, the two uh, year of hell episodes since they didn't happen, they were bottle episodes. Uh, we discount the episode where we're, you know, uh, in the far future and dealing with uh, fake uh, evil uh, Voyager simulations. All right. So that's that's three. You can knock off the list. Um, that leaves the other 22 episodes as things that happened kind of in time. Right. Yeah. Of those 23 episodes over nine months, right? So if we're going to assume that's, you know, 36 weeks, we are above the one pay, uh, one peril per pay period level. And some of these were multi-week or multi-month perils, like the Herogen turning the ship into a giant World War II simulation where they get to murder people over and over again. That went on for months. Yeah, I was going to say that. That was a big deal. Man, what a... Fuck the Delta Quadrant, man. Yeah, fuck the Delta Quadrant. Never go back. Like, that's what they should say when they get there. Like, that place is fucked. Let's Mm -hmm. never go. Like, it's a great place to maraud. It's a great place to maraud and pillage, but I wouldn't want to live there. Uh, They wrap up the scene on the holodeck with uh, Janeway being firm that she didn't want to keep playing along with Seven. And uh, we cut it to Janeway doing some late night work in uh, the mess hall. Uh, when Chakotay finds her and tells her it's 5 a.m. I love this scene because she's sitting there with like whatever the desktop display that they have. Like it's not really a laptop because I don't think that thing necessarily folds down. So it's just this big blocky computer. And I have this funny visual in my head of her deciding that she wants to work in the mess hall and trying to lug this fucking thing around like some big old 1940s typewriter. <laughs> well you know she's got to practice her social distancing work from home stuff you know like mm-hmm. i get it i get it you know she's got to stay in shape she almost lost that fight to seven of nine so maybe she's you know intentionally lugging that big heavy ass thing around it's kind of like a physical conditioning chakotay tells her that tom and neelix are coming back on a supply run in one of the federation death carts aka shuttlecraft uh, that they got a good haul and that Neelix, who, again, is serving as ambassador, is going to be wants to bring along someone who's been a real helping McHelperson as they travel on to the next star system. And they agree. This is when uh, Janeway confides in Chakotay. And it's the only time she confides in Chakotay. That's one of my biggest complaints about this episode is that I think she stonewalls him from some pretty important stuff in favor of Tuvok. Yeah, they have the conversation in the briefing room later that felt like it should have been a 
a conversation with Chicote, but it was Tuvok instead. In fact, Chicote barely really factors into the episode uh, in any useful way. I mean, he ends up like in charge of Voyager later for a brief time, but like doesn't serve like a, a any functional purpose to the story itself. Yeah, but nobody does. Uh, Paris doesn't. Kim doesn't. I, I'm really straining myself to think of uh, Torres like this. This is a good example this is a good uh figurehead for the rest of the entire season because it just boils down to some doctor uh a lot of jane wayne a lot of seven and nine and a lot of whatever the monster of the week ends up being oh you're talking about doctors barely in this one he's like in one scene you know you're right it's it's just still a heavy uh influence of one weighing on me they cut over to the cargo bay where there are racks and racks of 55 gallon drums my first reaction is there's no way that all that shit fit on a type six shuttlecraft. I don't know what sort of extra dimensional space we're employing here, but this is a silly amount of product that they've brought back. Um, and in all the chaos, we are introduced to a very special guest star, which is Ray Wise. And boy, what a pick for them to carry such an important episode. Ray Wise has uh he cert- I don't. I can't even call him that guy. Like he has been in so much fucking cool shit. I want to run through some of the things you might know him as. Most importantly, as the president of America in the Command and Conquer Red Alert series. Yes. <laughs> Perhaps uh, most fa- ma- famously as Leland Palmer, Laura Palmer's father in Twin Peaks. Uh, my personal favorite, Leon Nash. He's one of Clarence Boddicker's, who you might remember. God, man, season four is just nothing but fucking sweet ass dudes from Robocop. <laughs> Robocop, yeah. Fucking Clarence Boddicker's uh, number one henchman, Leon Nash. And as I've recently learned as digging through his uh, IMDb, he plays Douglas MacArthur in a movie I never heard of, but I am now going to watch called FDR American Badass. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> What? FDR American Badass. I watched the uh, I watched the the trailer. I skipped around and I saw that there were werewolf, werewolves attacking people, uh, and they find out that they're Nazi werewolves. And he has a a chair with a Gatling gun. I don't know. It looks <laughs> terrible. I'm gonna watch it. I'm very excited. I'm excited too. Holy crap! That sounds like amazing bad movie magic. That's great. Yeah. I mean, he's uh, he's been in some in some legit stuff, too. I always I really liked him in Reaper, which is a show nobody fucking watched. Uh, but I absolutely adored from like mid 2000s where he played the devil. He's he's. Uh, yeah, like I said, he you know who he is if you saw him and heard his voice. Also, I'd say that's a that guy. Significantly, uh, he was in a TNG episode, which was who watches the watchers. And that is the one where. There are proto-Vulcans, the Federation observation platform that was watching this pre-brass society or whatever. Uh, Ray Wise plays one of the the Vulcan dudes, the proto-Vulcans, who gets in. They break the prime directive. Uh, it contaminates the entire population. And Riker and Troy, I believe, have to like go under the knife, put on these disguises and get in there to... I think they had to like rescue Federation scientists or something. I, I don't know. It, it was it's it's one of those it was really the, good. Yeah, ones. It was it was the duck blind episode. Yeah, yeah, like 
Yeah, and they they stole part of that idea to do insurrection. Yeah. The movie. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, who watches the watchers was way better than insurrection. So, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Especially because the ending is Picard just shattering the prime directive to solve the problem of like, I'm just going to have to fucking tell you what's going on and then get you to understand it. And then it works. That's the best part of that episode is the end scene is him with all of these like bronze age proto Vulcans. And they're like, Oh, okay. Now we get it. You're from space. And the reason why you never tell people you're here is because like people like us will misinterpret it and act like a bunch of fucking idiots. No, we get it. It's, it's cool. Good luck. You know, we're, we're happy to know that there's like life out there and maybe you'll come back in a few thousand years. Seems good. Like it, it, it works out perfectly. <laughs> it's such a good story of hope. It is. Thank, yeah. Like they got out. Kurtzman didn't get anywhere near that one. Um, <laughs> Uh, so they got Ray Wise, who has his uh, who is awesome and who has done Star Trek before. And they brought him in for a very important role. And he is pretty much the only non regular cast member that we are going to see. And they have got him in in a costume that is unlike anything I have seen in Voyager before. There's no there's no deli meats in his hair because there's no hair. I'm going to describe can, can I describe what this guy looks like? Please do. So this is Arturus. Arturus, whatever his species is, looks like if you... If your scrotum was full of lemons. <laughs> and then someone grabbed the scrotum and, like, squeezed the lemons all the way to the end and then just shaved everything off and and put a neck and arms and legs under it and it was just a dude with a huge swollen scrotum forehead it's grotesque without being scary or silly uh i think the makeup really works well they they pack his neck out a little thicker so it looks like it can support all the weight of this head and it's it's cool because you can't really see like where the real him is and what's prosthetic so it looks really uncomfortable it looks I really di- different. I disagree a little bit. It is really good look. It's very interesting. It's not just shit in your head. But something they did that I thought I I think it was just because I watched it on a, you know, very high def monitor. And so you see all the flaws, right? The They didn't do anything to his face, right? Because they wanted his facial expressions to not be caked in by any makeup. Right. Sure. Because you got a good actor and you want him to be able to use the full range of his emotions. So he didn't have anything in his like eyes, mouth, nose area. And the problem is, is when they're in a tight shot, like a like a tight two shot. Arturus definitely went to the school of the Catherine Janeway. No personal space. Uh, University (laughs) like loves loves going there. there. He He teaches there. He developed a new maneuver. We're going to call the Arturus maneuver, whereas you walk up into someone and start talking with your face in their hair. (laughs) And because there's so many tight two shots with him in it, you can see the line of where they stopped doing the makeup for the prosthetic they put on his head. And they just kind of like darkened his, his existing skin color. And it looks like uh, there's no better explanation. He looks like he's got that raccoon look that Donald Trump has. 
you know, like Donald Trump's kind of got that that weird raccoon thing going where he's just not quite right around the eyes and mouth and that sort of thing. It's what he's got going. I can't say I really noticed that uh, past the the more important image, which is a giant talking ball sack. He kind of that's on the silly end on the cool end. He kind of reminded me of uh, the human xenomorph hybrid from Alien Resurrection that like is Ripley's goofy man child thing roaming around biting people's heads off. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From from Alien. uh, Yeah, yeah. Like. It it he just has a very uncomfortable sensual ish scenes with yeah no that movie yeah. was just that movie weirded me out man did weird you out it made me feel a little uncomfortable I always forget that it was David Fincher that did that yeah um, and it was an early Joss Whedon script which is why it had such punchy dialogue like alien movies are not known for having super punchy character dialogue and then like this one's all like quippy. It was very it's a very strange film. It's speaking to this alien resurrection thing. Like I, I recently went down a YouTube rabbit hole. There is an unprecedented level of cast members across all of the alien franchises who s- openly speak out as to how bad that movie was, not because it was a bad script, but because the um, studio interference took what could what should have been really good and and fucked it all up. Uh, needlessly so uh, huh. and it's kind of refreshing especially like Ron Perlman throws some fucking haymakers on that thing it is uh, refreshing to hear that when that happens because you like you just never you never hear that the shit get thrown but it's interesting because I mean on paper you look at all the names that are involved and you're like how how could this not be anything short of amazing yet uh, there you had it um, I'm sorry you know it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't resurrection they were shitting on it was alien no, yeah, it was resurrection. That was three was the penal colony, right? Yeah, three was some kind of prisonish thing. Yeah, yeah, the, the it was the penal colony one that that they, um, they shit on hard, not uh, not the fourth one. So, anyways, uh, we get introduced to Arturus, the the humanoid ball sack, and we find out that his uh, race, which is what god do they i don't think he actually names what his race is we just get the borg designation at one point uh i want to say like species uh, species 116 uh and their whole thing is that they have these really complicated brains that allow them to pick up languages in their entirety based on only a few uh phrases and we will quickly come to find out that this also expands into coding and algorithms um, what Janeway had been working on when she was talking to Chakotay was the aforementioned Starfleet hidden carrier signal that was below all of the personal messages that they had communicated through the Herogen relay network before Seven of Nine blew the whole fucking thing up in an act of insubordination. Um, and through the past five months, no one on Voyager has been able to decrypt what that is. And it's like this this treasure chest of what if maybe there's a wormhole, maybe there's a fantastic new technology. Maybe there's terrible Federation news that could have been about how bad the dominion war was going. And maybe the Federation was going to tell Voyager, do not come home. It's a lost cause. Who knows? But Janeway has not been able to crack this thing. And I think what's interesting about all that is that seven of nine, who really seems to be the best choice to say, you know, got all this computer shit, this Borg, 
perfection um, floating around you. Like, don't come out of your bedroom until you've cracked this code yet. They seem to be hesitant to really let her around this thing. I wonder if, you know, an, an explanation for that could just be the quantity of bullshit they've had to deal with. I mean, we talked about it at the top of them having surpassed the one lethal space hazard per pay period level this this nine months. It's been a rough nine months. You got crew members being turned into Nazi, you know, play things. You've got uh, uh, crew members getting killed by random radiation. No one can see, um, you know, you've 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 had some some problems. They just haven't had a time to sit down, and really like hash this one out. No, um, they haven't. And even uh, seven and nine, who was alone for an entire month while they went through the needless uh, radiation field of death, she seemed to have her hands pretty full, too. Uh, but it crosses Janeway's mind. Hey, let's get this uh, our tourist guy who seems to be real whiz bang with this stuff and give him a crack at breaking this super top secret Federation code. And I get the play she's making here, like. If he can crack it, it's worth him seeing whatever the secrets could be. But I just had me thinking, like, what is there a like a certain line in the sand where <laughs> Janeway would let this guy help her open the signal up and be like, "Ooh, wish I this guy had not seen that. Like, had there been some additional talk about <laughs> what what if the signal was really like, hey, sorry, you're stuck out there. But while you're out there, we know about an Omicron particle thing. We need you to go clean up and another civilization you have to go hamstring and you know condemn to death if you could go mop that up for us that would be great (laughs) i would presume that the the assumption of janeway of course is that this is just some lone alien that seems very helpful and you know we're he's hitching a ride with us in exchange for helping us out with our trade deals and you know, he, he's a nice guy and he's also kind of by his fuck self. So the chances that he is somehow going to be specifically relevant to the message if he's able to decrypt it is probably zero. So yeah. why not let him try? Like, it, it totally makes sense in the moment of like Janeway be like, I don't think there's OPSEC here. I got to worry about you're just some fucking guy. And I've had this message for months. So it's I know you didn't fucking send it. I was in a different part of the galaxy then. So fuck it. If you can decrypt this thing, I'll. Get you a ham sandwich or something. So here's the bad part. You'll get to at least avoid our filthy space cat's pasta hair or whatever the fuck you cooked today. We'll get you some good shit. Uh, Here's the bad part of this episode is that you know that they did not bring in Ray Wise, a very well-known actor, and they did not put him in some of the fanciest, most innovative uh, character makeup that we've ever seen just for him to be a nice bystander who helps Voyager out in a pickle like you know there's going to be something more to all this because you know we we understand the formula at this point uh, she brings him in it's her seven of nine and Arturus in uh, I believe astrometrics and he takes a look at this scrambled code and goes oh yeah I can totally clean this up uh, give me five seconds and there we go Uh, And we get treated to a message from Starfleet Command. It's Admiral Hayes. Uh, Is Admiral Hayes anybody that we know? Not to my knowledge, no. 
So this is a fresh admiral? I believe this is a completely fresh admiral, yes. Who's the one you keep talking about from DS9, Ross? Uh, admiral Ross, he's a recurring character on that show. Uh, but Admiral Hayes has a very positive message. It's that uh, they have uh, come up with a great solution for the pickle that Voyager finds itself in. And here are some coordinates. And uh, you got to go check them out. And luckily, those coordinates are only 10 light years away. So um, they lay in a course, they zip over there. And what does Voyager find but a brand spanking new class of Federation starship, uh, which we will later find to be the NX-01A USS Dauntless. Oh, I just looked it up, by the way. Admiral Hayes is also the admiral that tells uh, Jean-Luc Picard in first contact with the Borg have arrived. So he showed up in a movie as well. This guy is just the bearer of bad news all around because uh, there's going to be a follow-up message we get from him later that is also bad news. Um, so we roll up on this brand new, very interesting hull design. It doesn't really follow traditional Federation design language. Everything appears to be up and up. Just uh, it's an empty ship that's adrift. Now, the message from Admiral Hayes has not been fully decrypted at this point, so they don't really know what to expect. But there's a, a fair amount of apprehension. Um, Jane will go on a little speech in a little bit saying that, you know, she's gotten her hopes up before that the trip, an easy trip home has seemed within arm's reach on several occasions now, but none of them have ever worked out. And it was an infuriating moment because it's like, well, gee, Kathy, <laughs> why is it that none of the other opportunities haven't exactly worked out? Is because you guys wanted to fucking fiddle around with two dickhead Ferengi rather than flying through the fucking wormhole in the most infuriating, weakest shit ever. Ever. Good. It didn't work out because your professional Starfleet security officers were overpowered uh, by two unarmed Ferengi who then were able to hijack their own shuttle, which, which you broken. had secured, which was broken and that you had secured, uh, but did apparently did nothing to prevent them from being able to illegally launch off your ship, like, and then didn't immediately tractor beam or phaser and out of existence. Like, or just fucking ignore them and fly through the wormhole. But you know, you know, let, let, let me ground myself real quick. I'm getting mad. Uh, okay. It's even false prophets was still better than Picard. So you know what? Ooh, wow. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I, yeah. I, yeah. Sure. Whatever. Rafi yeah. wasn't there. So it wasn't that bad. Whatever. <laughs> You know what? Hey, that underboob was really good. I loved it. It was props. probably was... ten out of ten out of ten. Best underboob we've seen on Star Trek thus far. Uh, I don't know if that's true. I think there might have been better in one of the holodecks. I'll have to go back and rewatch. You um, know what? That's that's Warren's investigation. Good luck. Yeah. Report back with <laughs> give us a full report. Um. So they start beaming over to go check this Dauntless out. And uh, it's Paris and Tuvok and who, Kim, I think, maybe? It was uh, Chakotay, Tuvok, and Paris go over to the ship. And it accidentally turns on while they're there. Uh, the The ship is laid out in a, a fashion that's both familiar and unfamiliar. It looks, like, I guess, a little bit like how they dressed the... Um, uh, the 
the Prometheus and, you know, it has Elkar's style computers and uh, has uh, what they eventually call a quantum slipstream drive instead of a warp drive, uh, which is a newfangled form of propulsion that when it accidentally turns on and is active for just a few moments, uh, it still propels them 15 light years. And it takes Voyager three days to catch up with them. I thought I didn't have a chance to read the memory alpha for this episode, but I have to think that this is the Prometheus set in a redress. I feel like the bridge and a lot of the set pieces in this really remind me of like Chinese paper lanterns. There's these not opaque, but like these translucent paper planes that have backlighting behind them. Uh, the most interesting thing I thought about the bridge because they they beam in and you're standing where the the camera's pointing where the main view screen should be towards the captain's chair. And then when we cut to the cross shot and see the way team from the other side, like there's no main view screen there. It's just another work screen. And that really set off uh, a red flag in my head. Like, hmm, something seems very off, like the most iconic part of a Federation bridge is absent but uh tuvok starts putting his hands on things and initially it all looks on the up and up and like you pointed out and i'm not really sure why the ship was kind of malfunctioning like this if that was an intended demonstration of the slipstream drive capabilities or what but it takes voyager two full days to fly back over to where this thing went so it can pick up the rest of the crew. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, something's wrong, you know, something's off. Well, I don't know if you necessarily know something's wrong because they've given you like a really clear hint. You just, it, there's a suspicion that something seems to be off because it's too perfect. And that's that's the point that I think the episode turns on, because I like that Janeway from the beginning was like, this shit is too good. Like the message turns out to be exactly what we'd want to hear. And there's a ship waiting for us to just take us home with magic space pixie dust you know, uh, super drive like, uh, and this happened to all occur the moment the extremely helpful alien genius showed up. Like we have been fucked so many times by so many things in this quadrant. It would be stupid for us to not be suspicious. Like this is too good. Yeah. And, and the more time they spend on the ship, the more alien it gets. So you only get to see two set pieces, the bridge and, um, the Spencer's gift shop, which we will be calling <laughs> engineering, <laughs> engineering moving forward. There's no warp core. There's a Spencer's gifts, energy plasma ball. And it, it looks cool. Like for the same little prop pieces we've seen a million times, like it's configured neat. There's like uh, the laser red tubes, but they've got like water cooling around it. Uh, and nobody on the crew is able to liken any of this technology to anything else. Uh, before they actually get what they believe to be the clear message from Admiral Hayes cleared up, uh, the, 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 the something's off vibe. I was like, man, 
this would be a really cool event horizon story in that there is a prototype ship that uh, Starfleet had been working on with amazing drive capabilities, but it's unstable. This thing got out, it shot into the Delta Quadrant and lucky for Starfleet Voyager just so happened to be somewhere there and that the orders that Hayes was giving them was, hey, you got to go blow this fucking thing up before this technology falls in the wrong hands. It's unreliable, but it poses too much of a threat. It was a mistake and we want you to blow it up. And like the conundrum of Janeway of like, I could get people home or I could follow orders and play it safe and blow up, you know, basically the next get home from uh, get out of jail free card. But before they really give you too much time to stew on that, our tourist does finish clearing up the message from Hayes, and it's exactly what you said. It's it's a almost good, too good to be true. Uh, Hayes says that this is the brand new, hot newness uh, out of Starfleet R and D. That this thing's going to be able to get them home. Uh, it's lean and mean. It's it's got armaments, but the creature comforts aren't there. Like the holodecks, not a big deal. But then, like, what the fuck? It doesn't have replicators. I think the. The, there's a believability element that makes sense, right? Like it would be too good if it had everything, but as a bare bones prototype that, that basically Starfleet put together uh, to specifically send into the Delta quadrant so that Voyager crew could test it and get home with it makes sense. Like I get it as far as like the trap that Arturus is trying to to, to set like he doesn't want it to be too good but he wants it to be good enough that they'll go for it and that that's exactly what Janeway picks up on it's like the only thing that was missing was chocolates on the pillow right like the only thing missing is the luxuries on the ship that's it that's the only thing wrong with the situation and that is suspicious right that that there is a conscientious choice not to have those things on there and let me point out at this junction too this is a very good Janeway episode like yeah we've rung the seven and nine bell so much that it, I almost kind of discredit anything good going on for her. But Janeway, who is so often written so poorly and so awful, uh, I think this is a really good episode for her to have under her belt. Yeah, she's really good as the captain in this episode, and it's unfortunate how infrequently we say that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the ship of the Dauntless too from the exterior does look neat, and also with uh, the Prometheus episode which was back again along the Herogen plot. And that's where we initially made first contact with Starfleet. Like things look similar. Like I said, it's a different design language, but that kind of triangular hull is reminiscent of Prometheus. So it seems like something Starfleet could be working on. I actually thought the, the ship really reminded me of like triangle head from silent Hill games. And I think that's why it seemed a little bit more evil than perhaps it should. Yeah, you play Silent Hill enough and triangles will start to definitely mean <laughs> nothing but like horrific, uh, bloody madness to you. Pain That's... and suffering. Uh, they have a senior bridge uh, team meeting where they watch this message from Hayes where he's like, yeah, you got to leave Voyager behind, which sucks, but uh, we're going to get you home lickety split. And Harry Kim, who, you know, we've, we've been in this situation a couple of times now where kim is always part and this started all the way back with what episode three or four of season one eye of the needle you know there are the people who are the rampant optimists that 
want nothing more than get home and will blindly go into any dangerous situation. And interestingly, in this episode, because last time, well, not last time, the first time we encountered this, again, Eye of the Needle, uh, Bolana Torres was firmly in the I don't care, I don't want to go home camp. And now we find her ambivalent, at least. Yeah. Uh, I would say excited. I mean, when you can look when seven confronts her in the Spencer gifts, I mean, uh, main engineering and says like, look, when you go back, you're a fucking terrorist and you're probably going to go to jail. And she's just like, you know what? I'd rather be in Federation white collar prison than the miserable ass Delta quadrant. I mean, that's, that's just realism, right? Like, that's <laughs> just like, have you, and you've been on this ship for nine months. You see how often we almost get fucking killed out here. Like, I'm ready to go to New Zealand. I'm ready you to know, go to the picturesque New Zealand prison that Tom Paris got sent to. Maybe we'll Tom, both get sent back together. <laughs> Tom's not really close with his dad. And it seems to me like from his stories that his prison family is more real than his blood family. So, you know, in essence, for me to meet his parents and hang out with his family, I need to be in jail myself. So it's all going to work out fine. We're going to be a happy jail family. Um, The the senior bridge crew wrap their meeting wraps up. Uh, Harry Kim's all gun ho about, yeah, I'm going to get to see mommy and my clarinet again, which she doesn't specifically say, but you know what that he's, he's thinking. Of course. Uh, and after the meeting, and this is kind of the shitty part, uh, Janeway grabs, not Chakotay, who should be her confidant, or at least, you know, the operational muscle she's relying on for this. She grabs Tuvok in what seems like a very, secret suspicion that all is not as it seems and that it is too good to be true and that she wants to move forward very cautiously on exploring the dauntless what what Uh, follows is a montage of multiple log entries and people working on the ship and people working on the dauntless of no one finding anything wrong of everything seeming on the up and up, nothing to follow up on the suspicions, learning how to operate the ship, trying to see if they could recreate the tech, yeah, the process of using Slipstream on Voyager, uh, which they wind up flushing out a little bit, you know, I think appropriately to explain like why they just didn't use it on Voyager, right? Like they, they talk about how like the design of Voyager isn't really compatible with this, like this technology and it's going to tear the hull apart because it's not built to do this, um, which isn't something you can necessarily change. So uh, they go through all of that. They have the scene that we talked about where seven, you know, talks to Bolana and then talks to Harry where she's feeling uncertain about going back to earth. Uh, she is, obviously scared of going back to a planet of, you know, lots of people and individuals and also, you know, being an ex Borg among humans. Um, and it's reflected in her usual arrogance uh, and, you know, basically refusing to help, refusing to go back and wanting it her way and her way will be best. And she goes back to Janeway and astrometrics at one point to basically confront her about not wanting to go and Janeway calls her out. It is a cool scene. I think where like the tension between them and the, the, the way the relationship has developed 
this is the sort of kind of like Janeway like drilling down what's really going on here and then just being like, no, you don't you're just scared and you don't know how else to express being scared because you're not used to being scared. So you're just being defiant because you're essentially an emotional child. That's what's up. I get it. And it was I thought that was really neat. It and again, I, I feel I feel sad that I have these reservations through all of this that like. I want to see what's going on with the rest of the crew. Like they've given me so much seven of nine Janeway, seven of nine doctor. Like I, I just, I don't care about seven of nine. I want to see how the rest of the crews react to that in the Herogen arc message in a bottle. When they first encounter the Starfleet message home, like that was such a good episode, seeing how everybody reacts to news of what's going on in earth. And the Maquis had all been wiped out and, and everything else like that that really drew me in and it's characters I've been trained to care about for four years now. I actually enjoy seeing how excited uh, Kim is. And I wanted to see more of that. And yes, it's a very good exchange between seven and Janeway, but we we've done it 10 times. It feels too much. This is right up to basically the tipping point of the twist of what's going on here. I'm in my mind. I, I know Ray Wise is something more than just a nice benevolent space ball sack that's there to help them. And I know there's something sinister about this ship. And I start thinking in my mind, like, man, what if this Ray Wise guy, what if this is that that evil psychic fucking tormentor from Persistent of Vision or one of these other like terrible. Right. God creatures like what a way to fuck with Voyager and like hey here's something that's too good to be true but like on that scale it would take some real juice and I was like man persistent vision like that's that's too good to bring that character back like and if that's too good and I know that's gonna happen that's not gonna happen like what ends up being the truth is like so far left field that's why it really delighted me uh, because my mind's just racing like what could it be and and what it ends up being surpasses all of my best expectations um seven goes on to be a real pain in the ass for a majority of this mission uh i did notice that when they're arguing in astrometrics and i guess astrometrics was partially built with like borg tech insights but i didn't realize like big swaths of the wall in astrometrics just look like borg cube that that was actually a really cool set piece that I hadn't seen before. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense given the setup of it being a union of Federation and board technology. It's a nice touch. So, uh, Janeway and, uh, seven are arguing in this moment when, uh, the computer starts beeping and, uh, Janeway's efforts to decrypt this one portion of the Starfleet message that, Arturus had lied and told them was unrecoverable. And what we end up getting is the true message from Admiral Hayes. And it is a big fat. Uh, we're all sorry. We got everybody. We got the best minds together uh, to try and figure out how to help you guys out. Wormholes, any little thing we could. And in the end of it, you know, everybody here at Starfleet Command uh, apologizes there's nothing we can do. You guys are stuck. And A plus 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 reaction acting out of Kate Mulgrew as oh, you see. so good. So good. I, I went back and I watched it three or four times. I mean, this thing hits her like a fucking 
a, a wave in the ocean just wash over her, this pure defeat and emotion and just tears in the eyes. And she rolls with it for a moment before like the captain part of her snaps back and, and starts trying to reel it in. And there's in the background, you can even see like seven and nine who had just been like being a real sea bag to her, like emotion actually hit her as she feels the pain coming off of, um, uh, Kate Mulgrew and for, uh, you know, a TV show that very often just misses emotional beats. I think this one nails it right on the head and it is awesome. Uh, awesome TV. Well, you said it yourself when you referenced, uh, eye of the needle, you know, in that episode, it was Janeway and, and Harry Kim who were the optimists about going home, right? Like that's how they positioned the episode was Tuvok and, and Bellana were the doubters and, and the captain and, and Harry were were the optimists. And that was also a great moment with that episode being one of our favorites still to this day uh, is when the news gets broken to them as to the unlikelihood that their messages got anywhere. It's all in the face of Kate Mulgrew to sell, right? And she nails it there too. Like in the small moments is when she earns her paycheck in a major way. And I remember hearing a lot of interviews with her later on about how hard all the techno, you know, sci-fi stuff was for her to do. But we've said many times when she's called upon to call on her Ryan's hope abilities, her soap opera acting, she gets it and she gets it really well. You know, I, I I'm going to go ahead and say I, this might be the best, Janeway episode I think we've seen to date uh, resistance was better that's the one where she's on the planet with the crazy man and she it gets promoted by like they, they promote it by making it sound like she was going to be a hooker the whole time that's the yeah. best Janeway episode and if for nothing else the scene where she finally tells the crazy guy like listen I'm a Starfleet captain we can't further endanger you you've done too much I have to do the suicide mission on my own. Like, yeah, yeah, that that was really quintessential Starfleet there. But like across a broader spectrum, and I think consistently over this entire episode, um, I, I might still have to prefer this one. Uh, we had not really talked about what Arturis's ball sack race was all about. Uh, seven of nine has knowledge of them, and I forget what their number designation was. But one one six. Uh, but what seven of nine says is like we haven't ever been able to uh, actually assimilate them. They're these guys have always been one too slick for us yeah. ahead. And, you know, this dude seems like real. Hey, it's cool. You know, it, it's almost I don't want to say skeevian, but it's just like we got this. We've been doing this a long time. And you just you got to realize that the Borg are a force of nature and you you work around and, you know, that's life. And we're super smart and advanced and, you know, we deal with it. No big deal. Uh she finds out, though, that this whole thing is basically a uh, a big menagerie, right? And uh, the jig is up. There's th- that Dauntless was not put there by Starfleet. In all reality, Arturus has been jerking him around. And uh, Janeway's reaction to this is, and I quote, let's get weapons, which seems like so... <laughs> anti 24th century Starfleet like let's confront him let's get to the bottom of this like but let's go get some fucking guns like 
so wildly <laughs> inappropriate yet at the same time the weight of the cruelty of the joke that's just been played on him and the rug being pulled off from under there like it, that is the human response no matter what year or what level of enlightenment it is as long as we're still calling ourselves humans like you fuck someone over that bad and it's gonna be like let's go get the guns let's get <laughs> yeah, the guns. Like, i am so done with dealing with these these assholes, let's mm-hmm. get some fucking guns. Let's get the guns. So she gets a rolling crew together. They find out where uh, Arturus currently is, and he is on the bridge of the Dauntless with Balana. At the same time, she again, she completely has Chakotay cut out, right? She doesn't call to tell him, hey, listen, there's a problem. She's like, uh, hey, Tuvok, uh, my suspicions are right. And Tuvok had been in Spencer Gifts with... Harry Kim and they found out that there's like some holographic trickery yeah, going some on. bullshit happening yeah and uh, he's like yeah uh, let's go jump this motherfucker now we brought up the last time there was really a great opportunity for Voyager to get home which was false prophets and you specifically called out the clown shoes motherfuckers that managed to get their asses beat by Ferengi what if I told you there's two worst security crew members <laughs> on voyager they beam on the bridge they got like five six deep there's six deep there's four guys that come with them they got mass combat rules down lock right you know like they are not going to lose this fight if mr balsack wants to get froggy they all got guns and they're like listen what the fuck is up with this like you are full of shit you are jerking us around and this shit is over don't move a muscle, by the way, because we got guns. And Ray Wise, uh, Arturus is like, oh, uh, you know, it's not my place. Like, he starts pulling out, like, more lies. He's like, this Borg bitch, she's trying to fuck you over. She's got, like, uh, you know, I wasn't going to say anything, but, like, she's been plotting all this shit. She's been fucking with that signal. I really think she wants to do something dirty to you. And Janeway is just kind of, like, blind trusting uh, that seven's not bad and she's like i'm sure you planted all that evidence which i think it's cool they're even giving this guy the credibility that he would have planted dirt on her i i think he's she's every reason to believe seven didn't do that absolutely seven was interested in not going herself but there was nothing about her actions in that episode that suggested she would try and stop everyone else Absolutely. I just again, I think it's cool that this guy is so committed to sparkle motion at this point that he has backups and contingencies ready to go like, oh, yeah, you 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 establish how good your heroes are by the quality of villains that they encounter. And I think this guy is so top notch across the board that, again, it's why I mention it. Uh, But finally, he has like his his villainous meltdown where he's like, all right, fuck all this talking. I want to get my chops on. And he like rips the whole <laughs> he rips the con open and like starts trying to go for like this big emergency crank and then these two fucking clowns that Tuvok brought with him from the crappiest security department ever <laughs> instead of just stunning this guy with the phasers that they all have they're like uh let's go and try and put hands on this guy who's like way bigger with his big test <laughs> whose balls are much bigger than our own balls uh, and he slaps him around and gets finally gets shot by 
Tuvok, who is normally pretty quick on the trigger, but like Jamie has to like look at him and be like, uh, what are you waiting for, dude? Like, black. <laughs> you looking for a fucking invitation? Do you want to fucking shoot this guy, please? Motherfucker, do you want to get paid this week? Like, what? <laughs> Anytime, buddy. What's up? What's up with this Gandhi shit, man? Like, drop this fool. Uh, but he shoots him in the gut one time, which doesn't do anything. Uh, and it allows our tourists to pull this crank down. The jig is up. All of the Federation Elkar panels turn an alien red. And we find out that this has really just been a redressed alien vessel the entire time. It encases them in a traditional force field. Harry Kim's like, oh shit, they're trapped. I'm going to start trying pulling people off, starting with the two completely fucking worthless security people who should have been assimilated. Uh, but everybody gets away except for Janeway and Seven and Nine. The rest of the episode, whatever, right? It's standard fare of Seven and the captain are in prison. They have to do a prison break and then they have to find yes, a way it's to. It's a prison episode. I yes. Like... It's got I, everything. Uh, but the real magic uh, is a scene coming up. And that is when we finally understand why this villain is doing what he's doing. Because at this point, there's been no indication. None. We know he's shifty. We know this was a trap. We don't know why. They eventually get back to Arturus and are trapped again by him. And he is starting to finally explain what's going on. And he says, I've set my ship to go back to my home planet. And he reveals that his home planet has been assimilated. He is very upset about this, as you might expect. But the reason he's upset is not because that they had been assimilated, but because it's Janeway's fault. And he lays this great speech out of like, yeah, so remember nine months ago when you decided to make a fucking deal with the Borg to help them beat the Space Mewtwo's? Did you think for one second that maybe, just maybe, there were some other sentient species in the Delta Quadrant who were maybe counting on species 8472 to come through for us and beat the Borg so we didn't get turned into fucking space zombies, you dumb bitch? And... She tries to defend it of like, I judged that species 8472 is a bigger threat. And in the biggest, best, most scorching burn you could ever possibly hear on this show, Arturus just like immediately snaps back and be like, that wasn't your decision to make. <laughs> like, you cost the lives of billions of people when you made that choice. It wasn't yours to make and my whole race is dead and all i have the left for is revenge and that revenge was to get all y'all asses assimilated like you deserved i couldn't get them all but i'm gonna get you my mind is reeling at this point like them playing that this is a direct response to scorpion part two was so fantastic like the only way to have made this any better in my mind would have been for him to rip the ball sack off of his head and somehow like seska's face be grafted <laughs> on the back of his head and and seska be like it was me janeway it was me all along like i'm just reeling at how 
unprecedented this was for Voyager to be that self again and and this dude just nails her to a fucking cross on all the things that we harped on for like an hour and a half so just fucking phenomenal and Ray Wise hits all the right marks on uh you know his speech the emotion the rawness like in my book everything he's doing is perfectly justified Janeway tries to play this weak ass uh oh I couldn't have known card and it's like you you knew goddamn well Chakotay went toe to toe on you with this and you shut him down and yeah it was the only thing the speech was missing was a direct like statement from from Arturis of like yeah I think you knew what the board were like everyone the knows devil. what the board. She said they're the devil. Like the, the only thing this scene was missing, short of Seska's triumphant return, would have been like Chakotay standing like, oh, shit. Well, uh, hey, you know, I don't want to do this right now. It seems like a bad time. But yeah, I fucking told you so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, it was uh, it was it was amazing that they had the self-awareness to go back and say this was a very highly questionable decision on the part of of the captain and you know i suppose if i have a complaint it's that the rest of the episode goes without comment on arturis laying the law down like they eventually get out of the circumstance right voyager uses the the slipstream drive on voyager itself and they've got like a limited amount of time before the hull would get ripped apart uh and so they're able to catch up and throw some photon torpedoes at the problem and beam out seven and Janeway before the ship gets back into Borg space and gets assimilated. At no point at the rest of the episode, does Janeway have a moment where she's like, man, yeah, I really did like kill all of those people by making that choice. Didn't I, I needed to like, keep that shit in mind. <laughs> like as we go or something like nothing, it doesn't go remarked on. It doesn't seem to phase her really. That should have been, you know, there, there's been a couple moments in Janeway's development where I think there should be stuff that haunts her. Like you mentioned resistance before. Like I think her experiences on that planet really should have tainted her permanently for the rest of the series towards very author- authoritarian regimes, um, which she certainly encounters on a regular basis. But there's never the weight of, you know, this kind of. Emotional. I experienced firsthand the damage you do to your people, and therefore I'm not going to be party to it anymore. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this could have been the moment where she acquired emotional baggage the same vein as Picard. Picard is permanently – God, it's so fucking hard to talk about TNG now with this goddamn shadow of Picard. Like all the cool what if – all the groundwork they lay down and any of the comparisons I want to make, like Picard is just squandered. The Picard TV series has squandered so much of that, but like TNG Picard just carried this baggage of the terrible fucking things he did as a Borg, as Locutus for the rest of his life. And this would have been the perfect moment for Janeway to have to carry the ramifications of her greedy decision to help the Borg. Like every single person who got assimilated following Scorpion to their blood uh, their life is on Janeway's hands, and you're you're exactly right when that falling on deaf ears. Not even so much any sort of follow up commentary or like emotional confiding in Chakotay or Tuvok. Even seven of like, you know, that deal I made got you on the ship, but now I realize like the cost it had that I never saw. 
Yeah, I, I was too driven and and tunnel vision, and now my eyes have been opened. And oh God, what have I done? I, I also want to say what this really illuminates. Uh, what a good move it was in Caretaker Part One, where when they kill off a bunch of the crew members, the ensign who had picked up Tom Paris initially it was a Beta Z. Like, Correct. good job killing her off because if you had Deanna Troy or anybody else that was an empath that would have been able to read this game, like, there's some real sinister stuff. Like, I see the hurdle that presents writers, and I understand why stuff like that becomes a poison pill, and it's important to get rid of it. I also become very aware at this point in the episode how much you could do with 45 minutes. Like, this seemed like a two-hour episode to me. Uh, for them to completely put two full stories, not only like a mystery ship episode bottled up to like a really potent uh, follow up to Scorpion. Like if you play your cards right and build these episodes out the right way, you can cover so much ground. It's crazy. They cover more ground in this one episode than they did in fucking six or seven of Picard. Like hats. Who wrote this thing? <laughs> Who wrote this? Who who gets the the good brand? Braga and uh, Joe Manowski. Like, oh, story by even Berman got directly involved in this one. Like, all three of these guys. Like, good fucking job. Good job on the pacing. Good job on the directing. Berman everything. wrote this one. Jeez. Berman wow. Braga and and Manowski. Yeah. Um. Like you said, eventually Voyager gets the fucking slipstream shit to work, which shouldn't work, but it does work flies in for whatever reason Chakotay decides to only beam uh Janeway and Seven off they leave Arturus for some fucking reason and he is left on a suicide run that takes him back to his home world where there's like three board cubes just chilling out which would be a huge big fucking deal if it wasn't for Scorpion part one where we found out that like you could have 50 on screen at the same time and it's no big deal uh whatever and uh he just kind of has a, a real stiff upper lip as he meets his fate and uh, gets some nanoprobes in his neck. There's a uh, finisher scene where they're playing uh, Glock uh, <laughs> Ultimate Frisbee with each other uh, at the end, which, you know, whatever. Kind of wraps up, you know, once again, Seven of Nine being a real girl, but I'm, it's fine. It's fine. The, the the real part of this episode that's the winner is is Arturus laying that shit down at Janeway's a war criminal. Janeway's, yeah, Jan, Janeway killed billions, and that's a thing. Oh, and I looked up after you mentioned that Berman wrote on this. Uh, he's only a writer on uh, eight Voyager episodes, and this is his first one since the pilot. Um, so he uh, he co-writes with Brad Bragg on eight of total episodes and his caretaker is the first one. Then hope and fear is the second. And I'm looking at the other ones he's involved with and a lot of them are really good. So I'm curious if there, you know, if there was a sentiment somewhere in the writer production staff that like realized how absurd the decision was to have Janeway ally herself with the Borg and the crazy ramifications. And if this episode is kind of like an expression of like, because we talked about before, you don't contradict what your boss says in Hollywood. If you want to keep your job, you just go along. And that's what creates this echo chamber, which results in stuff like Discovery and Picard. And by the time they realize they're going the wrong direction, it's too late. You know, they're at the end of the line. 
uh, if if this was like the Trek purist or, or the voices of reason that were the quieter voices finally getting a chance to roar up and say like, yeah, that was a mistake. Um, great episode. Uh, great twist ending. Easily one of the best Voyagers that I think uh, we've had a chance to watch today and uh, really shows what the potential could have been for this show. A plus. And also, too, I mean, this being a season finale, like and not being a cliffhanger, like, holy shit, that's that's pretty rare at this stage of Trek. Not. To- yeah, it, it, it definitely was a rarity. Uh, I think the season one finale was not a a cliffhanger. It was terrible. It was fucking space. Friendship is magic. That was uh, correct. The one where police academy with tuvok <laughs> uh what what a what a long way the show has come from a complete fucking dud season finale to to something like this like my hat's off man and what are we watching uh once we return to normal episodes all right from here we are going to season five episode one night uh, we got Tuvok. We've got a very different looking uh, uh, Robert Duncan McNeil. I don't know what's going on with him, but he looks noticeably different. And we got Harry Kim. Crew morale hits an all time low when Voyager must spend two years crossing an expanse devoid of any star systems or signs of life. Uh, I like space madness. I like consequences. And I am very curious to see what that episode is going to be about. And I am thankful that we are not going to have to wait a couple months to get to it. Agreed, sir. Agreed. And again, everyone, thanks for tuning in to all of our episodes through our review of season four. We look forward to seeing you next week when we do our season four rip. We'll hand out our end of season awards, best episode, worst episode, uh, weakest shit. Uh, I'm going to go with best and worst alien looks. Uh, we'll have other awards to give both sarcastic and serious. Got any uh, ideas that you want us to grade on? Feel free to jump on the Trump support group and, uh, and, and let your, your preferences be known. We're always happy to take fan submissions. hundred percent. And then of course you can expect us to give us our, our final thoughts on Picard and they will be final. I assure you of that. Until then, everybody, see ya!